Claude. Hello. Welcome to Marvel Talks. Wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy that my efforts to convince you have paid off. I'm joking. <laughs> Thank you for, for the hustle. It's the name of the game. So it's, it's timely and it's relevant to what you guys are doing as well. So let me say a few things about Claude to our viewers who are slowly gathering before the stage. Claude is an emotional optimist, a coach, a manager, and mentor. She's the first chief heart officer at Viner Media, a digital agency with expertise in social media that works with a wide range of clients, including Shell, Toyota, and Unilever. Claude works with and mentors more than 800 people. Her role is to infuse the agency with empathy and to scale Gary Vaynerchuk, making sure that VaynerMedia's employees have a place they can call home. Is this an accurate snapshot of uh, what you do and who you are, Claude? Do you want to add something? I just, I, the only thing I want to add is my passion and my purpose is to help unlock people so that they can grow and they can thrive and they can become their best selves in the workplace and outside of the workplace. That's fantastic. Can I ask you, just before we move on with the, with the podcast, what inspired you to join Gary in VaynerMedia? Oh my goodness. I mean, <laughs> if you get that call, you say, yes, it's Gary. Uh, this was, um, let's see, I had been following him since 2009 and I was introduced to him in, two, in 2013. So I knew who he was. I had read Crush It and I was living in London and I needed something else to do. I, I, know, I knew I needed more social media in my life in terms of being a strategist, but I just really needed to be around thought leadership. And I was introduced to him by my best friend and the rest was history. It was, it was a yes. There was, there was no no. It was yes. Uh, that's, that, that's great. And what strikes me in that is that you don't have an HR, well, a traditional HR background. You, you have an, a marketing slash psychology yeah. background. Mm -hmm. And you basically took over a position that is 100% about people. How did that come about? The, well, Gary, I had been working there for 16 months and Gary and I had connected very early on on our same belief and passion around people and the capacity that people have and we both saw employees really much more as humans than as hearts. So it was a real easy evolution because he knew who, he knew that all I wanted to do was help grow and foster development with people. We didn't have HR and we certainly didn't have this role. So it was really a win-win. I was this role was built to scale him originally. And now it is, it's just become an enormous role in terms of, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the business of people. I take care of people. So um, it, it was just, it was a slam dunk. And for me, as I said, it's always been my passion and my, my purpose. So, you know, for me, it's, it's a, I get to use all the tools in my toolkit on a daily basis. I think there is also a very interesting 
alignment between marketing and leadership that people often often fail to see in what sense and here comes the, the, the Seth Godin school of thought, okay? Uh, that basically marketing is about influence. It is about showing the way. It is about uh, taking people somewhere. So marketing, if done correctly and genuinely and with a positive intent, is, is also about people. It's about showing change, leading uh, people to a new to new horizons, and in that sense, I, I do see some common crossroads between the two disciplines. Do you, do you see some common uh, denominators as well? A thousand percent. I mean, you said it very well. Marketing is about influencing people, and if you really crack into what influencing is about, it, it, it's literally becoming empathetic with them and caring about them. So influencing, I think, is just the, the tip of the iceberg, but you really need to care about them and really understand what their pain points are, what they need in their household if you're marketing a CPG, FM, uh, CG product to them. So, um, you, you know, you, you need to understand the makeup of the human in advertising, marketing, and obviously in psychology and just being a human, you, you want to understand what makes them tick, what doesn't make them tick, where they're stopped, you know, how can we open up doors for them? So for me, it's the same, same. I don't see any difference other than there's a cash transaction in one of them. Absolutely. So at the core of everything lies the human being and the intricate nature and the nuanced nature of human beings and what makes their heart tick and what makes them to get up in the morning and go and do whatever it is that they want to pursue. So that's why in your position, you know, the, the, even the position itself is called the chief heart officer. And what is really interesting is that in your organization, from what I understand, there is a dedicated HR team. Okay. And this is, this is something which deals with the sort of more compliance related HR. Okay. The payroll, the employment law, uh, sick leave and all these things. These are dealt with with the HR team. Is it correct? So I have a team. Yep. I've changed the name of the team from HR to people and experience. Mm -hmm. The moment I took this role, I, I was able to build a team out, very strong team around me. And some of them deal with employee law, compliance, payroll. The others deal with recruiting, mm -hmm. interviewing, and they're what we call HR business generalists. Mm -hmm. They scale me with their teams. So it's very, it's still very high touch what their jobs are. You know, their job is to, in effect, be me with departments. How different is the role of a, of a, of, of a chief human resources manager from a chief heart officer? Are there any any bold differences? Is there any gap there? Any real gap? I mean, I think one of the differences is probably I'm 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 homegrown, and they're not. You know, in many ways, these people have gone to school to study the art and science of human resources and change management and mm. you know, resourcing that type of stuff. Um, and I've learned my way into it. 
but I, you know, my hat is off to these people that have been doing this role for 20 years, 30, 30 years. They've certainly paved the way for me to come in and be a chief heart officer and, and really stand on their shoulders. So, um, you know, you could ask some CHROs what the difference is, and I'm sure they could be more eloquent about it. But for me, ultimately, you know, we're all in the business of people. And uh, I'm in the business of saying yes, and I have found that in HR departments, the answer many times is no. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I believe we need to change yesterday. In uh, a 2017 conference on HR, Gary stressed how important HR is for him how obsessed he is with employees retention and generally how important it is for your organization to go for the long game with your people. And my question is, uh, what is the, what, the, how does this translate in terms of processes and in terms of autonomy in your organization? How much autonomy do people get so, so that they can, bring their, their best self at work. Yeah. So what I say to people in interviews and what I remind people of is they have enormous amounts of runway, enormous amounts of autonomy. Gary is not a micromanager. He is, he is a person that says, go build, go dream, go execute. And you bring him in when you need sign off or when you need advice or, you know, you're changing a department but there's enormous amounts of autonomy. I don't think we, we couldn't be the type of agency we are mm. if we had that type of micromanagement all the time and, and, and it would be suffocating. And that's just not who he is. You know, he is a yes. And to add to that, in one of your interviews, you mentioned that your number one KPI is speed. Is yeah. it an accurate, an accurate statement? Yes, that is. Uh, the number one, I mean, speed is everything right now, especially because we're all, uh, we're all online all the time. And so mm -hmm. things can be changed in a matter of, you know, moments, especially if you're doing social media advertising, you know, you can test something, you can get something up in a moment just to see how it's doing. And then you can take it down if you wanted and replace it with something else. But we would rather do the 80-20 rule then wait and get something perfect. Cause I don't even know what perfect is, you know? So, uh, and, and we also believe that in so many, you know, so many ways, you know, so creativity is very subjective. You know, you wore a t-shirt, you like wearing t-shirts. I like wearing collared shirts. I mean, it's all very different. So, you know, yes. Talking about autonomy and having, giving people freedom to run their own affairs, uh, how does, let's say, excessive autonomy sit together with, uh, with, with processes? How strong should your processes be to, to ensure that autonomy or excessive autonomy will not lead to an erosion of quality? Well, so there is, in, in the world of HR, obviously, there are processes that need to be 100% intact. You can't mess around with that when you come to people's pay, people's rights, 
um, and the, uh, the protection of people and the company. So those are things you don't mess with, you know, and there's autonomy within that world to create our method of doing things, whether or not that's uh, feedback, uh, feedback to employees or whether or not that's annual reviews, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But by no means are we going to mess with compliance. That's, that's an art and a science to themselves. That's clear. And talking about feedback, you've been called an empathic truth teller. Okay. Is it a valid representation or statement? Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I'm honored to be called that an empathic truth teller. Um, I believe that's a, I believe that's very spot on. And, and what that means is that I, I don't have a problem sharing the real deal with someone, sharing the truth with them. I am absolutely and certainly going to do that in a, in a, in a non-judgmental kind way, kind way. So that's, the, that's the clear, yeah, I might as well just shut the door if I'm not going to do that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. How do you handle then, because being non-judgmental and, and being kind is one thing, but obviously you are in a business, right? You have goals, you have, you have budgets, you have demanding clients. And my question to you is, uh, how do you handle difficult conversations with employees, with colleagues who have problems, who, who meet challenges, who have performance issues? Do you have a, a secret a recipe? Do you have a method? Do you employ some feedback sandwich techniques? Or, or do you simply go with your gut feeling and you deploy your purest intentions, which are what you said in the beginning, you want to help people grow? So is it a matter of intent? Is it a matter of technique? Is it a matter of strategy in how you navigate through hard talks i i love i love the question and i love the different options you gave because it's all the above it's a soup when you're dealing with human beings i don't believe there is one size fits all i have to take into account who you are what your life is like what your home life is like you know do you have to rush home and deal with a sick parent those types of things they they come into place when i'm having conversations with you Every single conversation is going to be kind. Mm. It's going to be uh, empathetic, and it's going to take into account the absolute individual. Knowing, for example, you know that you're supporting your your parents and your and your siblings. You know, I mean, there's so many different things to think about, and that's the te- that that's the technique. It is absolutely caring about who you are as an individual. And then walking into that conversation with that in mind, with that in my heart. And the intent is always going to be, I mean, the intent is true. My aim is true. I have to be extremely um, conscious of the impact. That's very interesting. And it reminds me of another discussion I watched where you said something really, really intriguing. When you said that, you, and you, you can correct me, you said that if you withhold feedback from people for whatever reason, you are manipulating their growth. And I was really 
pleasantly surprised to hear about that. Mm. Can you give us some context on that? Yeah. So all of us, every single person, I believe, wants to continue growing. They have curiosity, and, and especially in the workplace, you want to gain as much knowledge as you possibly can and inspiration so you can get promoted or you can get different opportunities. You're offered bigger things. You know, you're offered the opportunity to go create something, you know, that type of thing. So if I am withholding, if I don't tell you what's really happening, how are you ever going to have that opportunity? You're either going to think that you're just phenomenal and there's nothing that needs to be tweaked or changed, or if no one gives you feedback, you're just going to think you're status quo and average. I mean, so as a manager, as a leader, it is absolutely my job to make sure I'm giving you feedback in a very kind and clear way with actionable steps so that you can hit that mark and go beyond. But if I withhold that, you never have that opportunity. And what happens if I withhold that and then you go on a performance plan? Well, that's not fair. I never told you that until the day you go on the performance plan. I never gave you those little steps, those little milestones along the way to try to meet, you know, try to meet and, ex and exceed. So it's extremely important that you know, leadership and management is not for the faint of heart. You have to care about people. You have to be willing to go out of your comfort zone sometimes and do things that are going to be in the best interest of the employee and might be very challenging on me. You know, it's not, it's not my nature to tell someone critical feedback. It's not who I am, quite frankly, but I have to push into that conversation somehow because they deserve it. They need to know. Do you feel that you have sufficient autonomy, let's say from, from Gary and the top management to manage people and to be 100% real, genuine, and free of any agendas or any other sort of influences? I mean, I'm smiling because I don't know who else other than Gary. I mean, it's, it's me and Gary. So, yes, I have all of the autonomy. I bring to him things that he needs to know about people or groups of people. Um, I bring to him, you know, little insights I might have about a certain person or um, a department. So I feed him information. There's no one else I'm feeding. I mean, it, it kind of comes here and then goes there. I mean, even before we went live, if I can make a small comment, I could see yeah. what, what, what a direct and a, an immediate communication channel you, you have with Gary. I mean, you must yeah. be working so closely together. Oh, it's happening right now. I just happen to be focusing on you, but the conversation's still going on. So that's, um, you know, that's called speed. Absolutely. That's, that's what speed is. Speed and agility. And how difficult is it, Claude, to scale Gary? Because your company has been growing. I mean, VaynerMedia has been growing for the past years. And to keep cultural cohesion to the level where you want it to be kept, it must be really challenging. How difficult is it to scale Gary? Well, I, I think it's scaling the impossible. Mm -hmm. so 
I think that it is, it's, it's challenging, but we know it's challenging. There's no way I will mat, I will match or, or meet who he is as a human in terms of his high touch on everything. I mean, that's who he is. He was very magical that way. So what, what I've had to figure out is how to scale me, mm. which I know is scaling him in the best way I can, you know? And so that's literally finding other people that have our same DNA, our mm. same belief in people, our same interest in, in seeing people succeed and, you know, creating these culture champions, as I call them, to in other offices or in, in uh, similar departments and, um, and doing it that way. What I like about that is that it's not just on Claude. Every single person is cultivating this culture. Isn't that a fantastic responsibility? That you can actually you can care and implement something at, at, at your place of uh, your place of work because you have the autonomy to go ahead and create a group. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And talking about culture champions and culture uh, carriers, I think uh, the, it, am I correct that these people are like the the people who get it. From who get it completely, right? Who are like the, the stars, they understand completely what what the company stands for. And in case some people begin to lose their way, they are the people who will go on a mission like and try to bring them back or try to bring them and to realign them with the vision and the culture. This is the, the mission of the culture champions and the culture careers, or am I missing the, the no. link? The mission is to go and check out how that person is doing and, you know, maybe have a, if we're in the office, go have a coffee. If we're not in the office, go have a chat on uh, virtually and just check in. How are you doing? What can I do to help? Are you have? do you need to meet anyone? You know, is there something that's been troubling you and your, so it's a, it's a very, um, I would say neutral, again, non-judgmental conversation. Mm -hmm. We want the best for our people. We want VaynerMedia to be the best career decision that they've made. And in order to do that, we have to have other people who care. And, you know, that's pretty cool. One of the first things that you changed when you joined VaynerMedia was the hiring methodology and the hiring process. Yes. I, I, I've watched one of your interviews where you said that in hiring, you should be looking for a, a skill match and a culture addition, yes. not a culture fit. Yes. Can you give us some context there? Yes, yeah. absolutely. So when you hire for culture fit, you're most likely going to get people that are similar to you, mm. that went to the same university as you, that are dating your girlfriend's friend, that uh, are on the same football team as you, that like the same music as you, that, you know, there's similarities. It's apples and apples. Why not? I like you. You know, we both love Pearl Jam. Cool. We both love surfing. Cool. You're hired. If I hire people that are going to add to the culture, right. that are different than me, that think differently, then look differently, might have seen or unseen handicaps, might um, uh, be a different different ethnicity, sexuality, that adds 
Mm-hmm. That adds more more curiosity. That adds more flavor into this culture rather than same, 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 same. The same, same, same gets us people that look like me all day long. That's not an advertising marketing agency in 2021. You need to be able to, you know, be attractive to multiculturals and uh, and just have empathy for humans that don't look or feel like you. So at the at the end of the day, I think your organization, the workplace of your organization, is a reflection of the world. So yeah. ideally, right, the diversity and the the sample of the various uh, different kinds of people within your firm should match the diversity out there. Is it a valid point? Yeah, so we want to match the macrocosm. <laughs> We're creating a little microcosm, an agency, 850 people, that wants to be able to match the macrocosm of, of the human population. That's very, very important, extremely important to us. Would you, which will allow, allow you to be fully aligned with the heartbeat of the world as, a, as an advertising agency to understand exactly what the world needs, latest trends. I think it, it, it only enriches your organization and your output as well. Yeah, I agree. Well, you, it, it allows you, I mean, I love what you just said, the heartbeat of the world. It allows you to understand what, people are going through and what their needs are and what their, you know, like I said earlier, their pain points, you know, we want to infiltrate their world with, with emotion and with freedom to some extent, you know, with a peace of mind. Talking about recruitments, talking about hiring people, how do you deal with the Gary V fanatics who <laughs> want to work I presume for free. I'm sure you have many people who want to work for free because they love Gary. How yes. do you deal with those candidates? <laughs> well, you have to you have to vet those candidates just like you would vet anyone else. You know, I mean, we want to hire the best person for the role, taking into account skill set fit and culture addition. That's very important. And there are going to be a lot of fans out there. And some of these fans end up being phenomenal employees because they're very loyal mm. to him already. They're very um, entrenched in his uh, and in our um, motivation and, and the way we, we inspire our people. So that's already a win for us. If they already believe in kindness and they're already of a generous spirit and they are already working on self-awareness, that's a head start, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, good for us. You have mentioned in an interview, it sounds like an interrogation, but it's not really. I really found your uh, thoughts and your insights really, really intriguing, that you don't really like the use of the term soft skills. Yes. Now, maybe you used to be comfortable with it, but perhaps you, you, no, you no longer like the use of the term, or was it always like that? You felt yeah. that it- I don't think I ever liked it, to be honest. I just think I now can talk about it more freely. You know, I think the word, I think when you compare it to hard skills, the word soft skills just sounds weak. It sounds not as strong um, and certainly not as important. And the fact is, is that they are necessary. They are life skills. They are, you know, they are human skills. 
and traits. And uh, I believe everyone has access to them. It's a matter of, A, nature versus nurture. And do you have an interest in, do you have an interest in developing your own self-awareness? Do you have an interest in, you know, being more than just Claude? Am I interested in Claude, who Claude is in the world? You know, but the the term soft skills to me couldn't be more devaluing or demeaning mm. to the actual essence of it. And, uh, and I'm all about being authentic to the essence of it. You know, it's a world I live in. I certainly have hard skills, you know, I, I, without a doubt. But I am much more right-brained and empathetic, mm. uh, empathetic skewed than analytically skewed to the left. I think you're absolutely correct that soft skills get a, you know, a bad reputation because of the very fact that they are compared with hard skills. And in today's time and age, the ability to maintain your fundamental human qualities uh, when faced with automation, with disruption, is actually the only security for people to, to, to create surviving and thriving in the workplace. And... Uh, to conclude and to circle to our to our wonderful conversation because I have so many points we could be talking for hours but I I, I would like to respect your time because you have a tight schedule this morning. I also uh, watched one of your interviews where you said that you also don't like the word underdog. So I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you give us some some context there? Because yeah. I think it, it reflects on your own journey, right? Yeah, yes. that, that's why I love to hear your, the context in that statement. It does. And I'm, uh, someone just asked me about that yesterday on LinkedIn as well. There's, there's nothing wrong with the term underdog. I think for me, I saw myself as an underdog for so many years. And what that was actually saying is I saw myself as less than. You know, I allowed my own limiting beliefs and, and lack of confidence to take over. And, and they all went into this world called underdog. There's nothing wrong with the term. I just no longer use it for me because it's no longer valid for me. I outgrew it. You know, I, I outgrew it. So, um, but I, I uh, you know, I, I rather use the word, the term late bloomer, which is very relevant for me. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, for all of the underdogs out there, I appreciate you. I get it. I value you, and and uh, keep blooming, keep blooming. We are as young as we feel. Yeah, always. Yeah, always. Let me ask you a final question, and then we can wrap it up. If you were, if you were able to give your younger self one concrete piece of advice, what would it be? Don't do this or do this or yeah. what would it be? Don't, so don't worry about being too hard. Don't think that that's a, don't think that you need to change. Continue to be exactly who you are. Continue to, to live from this place. You'll be, you'll be very successful. That's great. That's, yeah. That's really what I would say. Don't, don't worry about changing. Don't change. Just be, have faith to the journey. Like Have faith, have confidence that confidence. you are who you are and that's a beautiful thing. And just, you know, 
ride that out. Claude, it's been fantastic having you on the talk. Likewise. I'm so happy that we managed to put it together. Let me, let me wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Okay, you are doing a great job with your content as well. You are influencing many people out there. You continue being genuine, being real, because, because it, it shows that you are being authentic and real. Uh, I would like to thank our viewers as well for uh, watching this episode. For those who will listen to the audio podcast, continue the great work. Give my regards to Gary, please. I shall. I shall. Whatever, whatever the worth will be for him. And have a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care.